So let's pray and then begin. We're in chapter two today, so let's pray. Our gracious and heavenly Father, we are a little bit of a remnant, Lord, because so much is going on with the Omicron. We lift up those who have been infected. We thank you and praise you, Lord God, that the vaccinations seem to be really helping for mild cases, but there are um, some on our staff, Lord, that are home and recovering, and so we pray that they would be fully recovered. We thank you for Mary stepping in to help us out this morning, Lord, it, with our recording, and we just pray, Holy Spirit of God, that you would come, open our hearts, open our minds, open your word afresh as we study from the prophet Micah. Bless the time that we share, Lord, but also convict us. Uh, help us to relate not in a way that is uh, hurtful, but in a way that is uh, encouraging as well as convicting, that helps to transform us to be more and more like you, Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Okay, so you got all the introductions. You guys could probably teach me in the introduction of Micah. But Micah in chapter one had some general um, judgments <laughs> about uh, the people, Israel, and speaking to the people in Judah and just saying, here's your issues, guys. And, and let me just give some broad strokes with that. And now in this chapter, he's becoming very, very specific. And again, remember, Micah goes from uh, judgment to mercy judgment to grace. And so he's very, you have the sternness of God, uh, but then you also have this overabundance uh, graciousness of who God is. So we're going to see, see that as we go through this morning. So I, what I'd like to do is I'm just going to read, there are three sections. You go verses 1 through 5 and 6 through 11, and then uh, kind of this add-on at the end, 12 and 13. And so uh, those three sections, and we're just going to look at those in those big, broad pieces, okay? So let me read first the first um, uh, five verses here. I'm going to read from a larger print. So much fun. You guys don't have any of that trouble, do you? We're, you're wondering if you're going to have print 75 on your paper. All right, here we go. True confession. Alas for those who devise wickedness and evil deeds on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it because it is, is in their power. They covet fields and seize them, houses and take them away. They oppress householders and house people and their inheritance. Therefore, thus says the Lord, now I am devising against the family an evil from which you cannot remove your necks and you shall not walk haughtily for it will be an evil time. On that day they shall take up a taunt song against you and wail with bitter lamentations and say, we are utterly ruined. The Lord alters the inheritance of my people, how he removes it from me. Among our captors, he parcels out fields. Therefore, you will have no one to cast the line by lot in the assembly of the Lord. Wow. It's kind of this very strong, um, this is what you're doing, and now here are the consequences. I think oftentimes it's, uh, we think, well, what can we get away with? Kind of like the kid 
who steals out of the cookie jar and then kind of spreads the cookies around. Not that I would ever have done that as a child. But anyway, you spread the cookies around so it's not as noticeable, maybe. But this is, this is not it. This is a very blatant uh, taking of the land of the people. And Micah's coming in and he's speaking on behalf of the Lord and he's telling them, we see what you're doing. So let's just look at some of these specifics. Uh, a couple of things that we hear, he's gone from the from the general in chapter one to the specifics here in chapter two. Uh, the here in chapter one, here, what I have to say, to woe. And that word woe is very, very important. It's a very, it can be a very condemning word. It can be a very, um, it's, you're in, in big trouble kind of word. Woe to you, good luck to you. Um, it's a statement of judgment about God's um, enemies or a, mis a misfortune on oneself. Jesus used woe as a term of great sadness. Uh, woe, oh Israel, oh woe, Jerusalem. There was a sadness to Jesus' woe because they had been so out of step with the way that the Lord wanted them to be. And so you see it in that. Um, but this chapter is going to finish with a promise. So I want us to hang on to this, especially as we just read this first section. So let's now look at it. That, and I would say section one, a good word for it is the evil of coveting. Now we avoid that word evil. So if you don't like it, don't come back in a few weeks on January the 30th, I'm preaching about the temptation of Christ, which is our temptations also. Uh, some things never change and, um, and those temptations are, were there, are there, and will continue to be there. But they, they're from the evil one and there's evil in those temptations. And so um, this is the, evil of coveting. And um, the word woe again is used because of the absolute evil in devising our premeditated sin against another. Now there's, uh, folks, at the cross, the ground is level. Everybody comes to the cross in need of redemption. Everybody comes to the cross because we sin. We miss the mark. We don't do what we're supposed to do. So I don't want anyone to think about, oh, I'm not as bad as, uh, not that any of you would do that, we, you know, but it's like, well, my sin is not as bad as, or if you are um, first married and you're complaining, this, something's never changed, like in 44 years, it hasn't quite changed yet. Well, you do this, yeah, but you do this. And so I finally learned, we both have learned to go, that may be true, but that's not the subject right now. We're on you right now, and this is where we need. But do you ever do that, like my sin is not as bad, or I'm not as bad as so-and-so? And that's when we go, well, compare yourself to Billy Graham. How are you doing? Compare yourself to Mother Teresa. Yeah, just let that one go, because you're always going to find somebody who is um, more holy, maybe that's what we say, who walks more closely with God and someone, who, who doesn't, but just be responsible for your own, for your own sin in your life. And there's though, um, the sin that they were committing is one that's premeditated. And there are consequences for different sin. If you kill somebody, the consequence of that is different than stealing and rearranging the cookie jar. They're both sin, they're both what you're not supposed to do. But, but when you premeditate something, that's horrific, and, and Micah wants them to know that he sees what they're doing is terrible. And so um, you're oppressing others with greed and coveting. So what they were doing is they were coming and they were 
uh, taking the land. They were stealing essentially from people who didn't have resources to fight them. Uh, we see takeovers in companies sometimes. We see takeovers even in, in land and things going on uh, because people of power are there. And so you think, if I have power, that must justify what I'm going to do. And there was this kind of attitude that seemed to be permeating with those who had resources. Now, this is the poor who are suffering. And it's not just the absolute um, upper echelon. It's the middle class that has a heck of a lot more money than the poor. And even they can become abusive and using and manipulating and strategically planning on taking over from those who cannot fight them, who cannot stop them. So that's what Micah's addressing here. He's saying this is a premeditated sin. You are planning this. And not only that, um, you're scheming in the morning. And here you have an image of doing evil in broad daylight. You know, we always think of the cloak of darkness like you're trying to, you know, uh, sneak around, it's not a scene. Most, most crimes um, are, are done at, at night. People are either, you're just too tired or not thinking or whatever. But the cloak of darkness kind of protects you. Well, these guys are just like, no, it's in broad daylight and this is what I'm doing. Well, one of the things to know is in the culture of the time, court started first thing, daylight. You would bring um, those, uh, judiciaries together to make decisions in the morning, broad daylight. You know, you didn't do things at night. So when you study the um, trial of Jesus, everything happened at night. But we talk about in the cloak of darkness, what they were trying to do when they first captured Jesus to have him uh, arrested and crucified. But here you're in daylight. Now it tells you a couple things. They're brazen with what they're doing. But also the court system is probably supporting them, not probably, but is. So that even in this statement, the court system, you're beginning to see those who should rule justly are allowing the sin to go on. Does that make sense to you? That the, the, it's more than just imagery, it's telling you, you guys are, you're, you're arrogant. Uh, that's why that word hotly comes out later. You're arrogant in your use and abuse of people. And, um, and, you know, here Micah is speaking this to them. It's an abuse of power. Um, and that's when the, you know, you have that morning coat, uh, courts who are even oppressing the people by allowing the actions to go on. And then in verse 3 through 5, you have this transition. Therefore, thus says the Lord, now I'm devising against this family an evil from which you cannot remove your necks, and you shall not walk haughtily, for it will be an evil time. Well, I don't know about you, but I always think, well, you know, God is a God of love. <laughs> God just loves us. And what's with this judgment statement? That God is going to bring evil. That God sees what you're doing, and it's not okay. The sin, not just the sin that affects you or your own life, not like over... Um, indulging in something for yourself, but the sin that what you are doing is affecting these other people, this is evil. And let me tell you, you're going to see an evil from the Lord that's coming to show judgment on your behavior. So for our culture and for who we are, this is something that we don't really like to talk about. Uh, I don't know how many sermons you've 
heard where you know people are 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 preaching hellfire and brimstone it used to be very very popular. We're, it's not very popular right now. We don't really look for that. Um, I would say uh, think about some of the largest um, TV uh, preachers and what they're preaching. Prosperity. God will take care of you. Everything is good. Just be happy. Don't worry about it. And so I, I, I would be surprised if Micah got in there very often because he's really talking against those that are in power that are abusing it and hurting people and the judgment of God is coming. And so he says that to him. He devises a disaster in his judgment against their actions. And um, he responds to their arrogance, their deceitfulness, and their prideful behavior. That is that haughtiness, the haughtily. I'm going to, I'm going to respond directly to your behavior. So just know, I've not just thought of this. All I'm doing is responding really in an appropriate way because it needs to stop. You need to quit doing this. And then goes on with the warning um, in, in the last part there. And the Lord alters the inheritance of my people, how he removes it from me. Among the captors, he parcels out the fields. Therefore, you will have no one to cast the line but lots in the assembly of the Lord. So here you have the Assyrians are going to come and take away the land. Now, for Micah and for Amos and for many of the prophets, you have to have longevity. Um, I was listening the other day to Kerry uh, Wolford. He's kind of, um, I'm saying his last name wrong, so forgive me for that, but he has a podcast and it kind of helps pastors navigate through this. And, and um, he was talking to um, a pastor. Uh, Rick Warren, and Rick Warren is saying it takes at least seven years to get a church going. Well, most of us are done long before that. Like, you know, oh, we just hired you. Well, how many numbers are there? Where are we doing? Where are we growth? It really takes time to do that. Well, poor um, Micah, when you have bad news, it takes two or three times as long as that. So somewhere between 16 and 25 years of preaching this before the people really, uh, before what he said would happen began to happen. And that always makes it difficult because when you're saying this is coming, it doesn't happen, it's like, huh, just go on my way. But he was faithful to preach that. But here he's saying, no, that a group is going to come in and the land that you have coveted, the land that you have stolen, the land that you have taken is going to be taken from you by foreigners. It's just going to be taken away. And it's just, you're just going to be scattered about. And just know that this is coming. So that's that first section. Anybody have a question about the first section? You're good? In the olden days would say we're all bad and going to H-E double toothpicks in a handbasket, but, but it was those that were being abusive. And be very, very careful with that. And that's, you know, Micah's the one who speaks out for the poor and the oppressed, those who are in greatest need. And, uh, and so I, I have questions for you later, and one of them is, you know, who are those big speakers out there, evangelists or quasi-evangelist preachers that only talk about um, prosperity or only things that are, are good for you? And, um, and what are some of the other things that we think about God? If God is love, how does this judgment come down? And I just want to back up one, 
a little bit to talk about coveting. One last thing. Ten Commandments. What is the Tenth Commandment? I kind of just told you, but what is the Tenth Commandment? Don't covet. And if you look at King David, it almost starts in reverse with King David. What was the first thing he did? He coveted. Out of that, he took the power that he thought he had, which, by the way, the temptations are about power, um, possession, and position. And here he is in position. He wanted a possession, uh, and he has the power to do that. So his coveting kind of puts God to the side and puts him in the front, and then he goes out and he, um, not only does he covet, but he lies, he murders, he takes someone's wife, he doesn't uh, respect his own, he commits adultery. He does all those things. How does it start? Coveting. I make a joke that that's my one great sin. That's not so funny. If I really think about it, it's like, oh yeah, my, mine is coveting. And uh, we all covet, but what do we do with that? Uh, do we let go of that? Do we get that out? Or do we, do, does it get control of us? Which is kind of more than what's happened here. But so there's that warning. The result is their land will be held by others, their captors, their captives. So not only will they be held captive by the other army, but all their land is gone. Just know that warning is coming. And then in the next piece, he kind of, uh, I wouldn't say self-effacing, but it's like, you know what, I've preached to you and now I'm going to tell you who you're not, <laughs> that you're not listening to me and who you are listening to. So let's look at that next section. Do not preach, thus they preach or do not prattle, that's a great word in King James. One should not preach of such things. Disgrace will not overtake us. Should this be said, O house of Jacob, is the Lord's patience exhausted? Are these his doings? Do not my words do good to one who walks uprightly? But you rise up against my people as an enemy. You strip the robe from the peaceful, from those who pass by trustingly. With no thought of war, the women of my people you drive out from their pleasant houses. From their young children you take away my glory forever. Arise and go, for this is no place to rest. Because of the uncleanliness that destroys with a grievous destruction. If someone were to go out about uttering empty falsehoods, saying, I will preach to you of wine and strong drink, such a one would be the preacher for this people. So he's saying not only do you do evil, but you are so shallow, you cannot even see not only your own sin, but any behavior that should be changed. And you think you know God and who God is and what God will do. So let's look back at that. The response of Micah's word is met with resistance. Well, go figure. Um, we're kind of back to, I, I'm not as bad, or, uh, oh no, I have the right to do that because I'm of the privilege. Obviously, I was, I was born into this privilege, or I was born with, with all these things, and so I should make good use of it, and it should benefit me. And he comes back, and he's just saying, you're not listening to me. You have your own preferred preachers. Um, preach to us what we want to hear, and do not meddle. Don't get involved. Nobody invited you. Nobody invited you, Micah, to tell us what we're doing wrong. Don't meddle in my things. Ever have anyone where you're going to very honestly and you're saying, I'm a little concerned about this. Don't meddle in this. It's not your business. And so for Micah, it's like, well, uh, 
I'm pretty sure it is because I'm called by God to speak this truth. And so he comes to them and they just don't want to hear it. And, it, and it's kind of as if, even today, you know, don't hit the hot topics. Preach to us about our spirituality. Preach to us about um, prayer. Preach to us about uh, studying the word, but don't get, in, don't get into how we're, we're living our lives and, and don't get into things that have to do with power or politics. And when I say politics, I want to be very careful. I'm not talking about who you vote for or who's right or who's wrong there, but the politics of the way in which we run our lives to benefit ourselves. And many of us, well, let's just not talk about that. I, I kind of like it when you teach me how to pray. Or I like it when you, you know, teach me about being more spiritual. But don't get into the practical everyday application of what I should be doing. And that's exactly what they're saying. They're saying, don't bother us with this. Don't get, this is not your area, preacher, prophet. Um, you're, you're prattling. Don't do that. Don't do that to us. And so only preach the blessings and not, um, and not disgrace or judgments. And God's actions truly, and so this is when you see, and if you look back at there, should this be said, O house of Jacob, is the Lord's patience exhausted? Are these his doings? Do not my words do good to the one who walks uprightly? You know, he's saying, you know, God is the God of blessing. He has blessed Israel. He's on our side. We are Israel. After all, we are God's chosen people. And this is the way we should do it. We do this as Christians, too, so we've really incorporated that. Well, we're Christians, and God loves us, and God blesses us, and God does this for us. I'm talking about myself here, not you, just, you know, the way I kind of look at it, just that disclosure there. But we tend to do that. We tend to think God is giving us blessings, that we don't have that kind of judgment, that God is a good God, and that God is patient, he is long-suffering, and perpetual blessing. Well, years ago, um, we used to do alpha classes. We've done some here, but I started out in um, Oceanside. And if you've heard this story, I hope you're old enough, like I am, that you forget that I've told it to you, or I forget that I've told it to you. So we're just going with that for now. But I do believe I've used this before, but it's a good story, so I'm going to use it again. We did an alpha course, and a couple came, and um, husband was kind of from a main denomination kind of background. They had two little kids, but she was Jewish and came from a Jewish background, not, not necessarily um, a practicing a Jew in terms of being Orthodox, uh, more, more Reformed, uh, but curious. And so she came hoping would be studying the Old Testament, but of course Alpha's mostly uh, about how the New Testament is reflective of the Old Testament in the person of Jesus Christ. But at one point, um, someone was saying, well, there's such big judgment of God on Israel. It's just really, I mean, I, I think I would lose my faith, you know, uh, if, if I were, a, you know, a Jew and following uh, God and, and, and felt, look at, look at how he deserted the people and what he did. And it was so fun because she goes, no, 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 <laughs> that's just not true. What I can't believe, having studied the Old Testament when I was a kid, why is God so patient with us? Why did God try time and time and time again the long suffering, the blessing that he continued to give us? It started very early on. They didn't like God. They wanted somebody else. They didn't even like the, you know, the judges. We need a king. We need a land. We need, a, we need the power. We need all these things. Long suffering God. 
There. So this makes sense, right? Because they've seen that in who God is. But Mike is going, you know, what's more important is not that you have the land or you have the king or you have the power, because all those are going away and you're watching it go away in this air. It is about a relationship of being faithful to your God. And you've lost that because the way you love God is reflective in the way you love people. And that's missing here. That's really missing here. So, um, so they asked this, rhetor this rhetorical question by Micah. Do not my words do good to one who walks uprightly? He's reminding the evildoers that they are ignoring the good that they are called to practice, and therefore God is responding to them. And so it's almost like I'm in a garage, so I must be a car, right? I'm Israel. I'm one of the people of God, so I must be holy. It is, it doesn't make you a car just because you're in the garage. It doesn't make you holy just because the God you identify with is a holy of holies. You need to embrace that. It needs to be part of who you are. And so God is saying, just because I've been long-suffering and blessing does not mean that I do not discipline you, that I do not care, that you will not see judgment. Um, the difference, uh, you, I'm not yet a, a grandparent, and um, our daughter said, well, when we have kids, other than church, which I know you want us to do, and we're, other than church, <laughs> what, is the, what is the most important thing that you want us to do when, you, when we raise our kids? I said, be, be strict. Love them enough to say no. Love them enough to be strict. You have a thumb. <laughs> you know, because they need that kind of discipline to know what they're doing. And so here Micah's trying to do that. They had the law, they had everything. They just ignored it. And so he's saying to them, okay, you don't want to listen to me because I'm not going to preach, because you don't want to hear the truth. Uh, you want me just to tell you the blessings that, that you've experienced in the past, but I'm telling you, even the God whom you know, who you should know loves you, will discipline you, will call you back, will do these things, but you're not there. So um, God's response, or God's words and Micah's response, um, he's, he almost seems to identify personally with this. If you just look um, down at, um, with me at, uh, at verse 8. But you rise up against my people as an enemy. You strip the robe from the peaceful and those who passed uh, trustingly with no thoughts of war. The women of my people, in verse nine, you drive out from their pleasant homes, from their young children. You take away my glory forever. And here he's identifying with the people who have been abused by the wealthy. Now remember last week when Jack taught, Morseth is where Micah's from, it's kind of a farmland. It's kind of an area. So there's a sense of his real, really identifying with the people that they've been abusing because he knows them. This is his people. It's where he's been from. He's not a person of great affluence. Uh, he is a, a person of great influence because God called him, but he identifies with them. I also think, you know, in the Old Testament, the things that you were really supposed to do 
were to take care of the people and to take, that's always been in there. And the people who sojourn always take care of them. And I think about especially women had no, uh, no privilege. They did not go to school to learn things. They, uh, they had power inside their house to take care of their house. So Proverbs 31 is a great scripture about that. But basically men were to take care of women and children. And so in his saying here, boy, you've ignored them. You've even hurt the very least, the most vulnerable. But you don't want to hear about that. And yet that's what you've done. So there's a sense of Micah's heart and compassion is really into it. My, um, there have been times when land has been taken for whatever reasons. Uh, during uh, great droughts or depression or something else, people with um, any kind of means might come in. Or after something, when people are recovering, you would have people in America who maybe um, did not have the best intentions, but had the resources to come in and just, you're poor, you, you need help. And they just took over um, on a, a dime for what used to be worthy of a dollar and, and take what you have. And so we see that. I remember, and it, it wasn't anyone's fault, but I do remember my mother sharing several times. She both survived the depression and the Dust Bowl of Oklahoma, but during the depression, uh, the one thing, if you're a farmer, and she was a, a farmer's daughter and lived on the farm with her eight other siblings, and so you canned a lot of vegetables, right? So they never starved during the Depression. They always had food. And so my mother grew up with a lot of canned items. And even as uh, my growing up, her preference was canned food oftentimes. And if there's one thing that I have almost nothing of in my house is canned food. I can't stand it. It's <laughs> like, ugh. But that's how they survived. But when the Depression came, the government came and took the cattle away. They came and took their cows away. They came and took some things away that they had to take away. Um, and unfortunately, my, not only did my mother's family survive as poor as they were, but they fed a lot of people because they were farmers and because they had that, all that good canned stuff. Um, but there are times where people in farming areas really suffer just by nature, but they also suffer by the hands of others. And uh, Micah is seeing that. And there's a sense in this language of his great grief with that. And so he's identifying children also um, valued in the sense of beloved, but they were, they were not helpful. You had to grow up and get strong and be useful. Um, so you really were dependent on someone taking care of you. And here, th those with means have just neglected them, have hurt them, have harmed them, have put them out. Okay. Um, so Micah, again, preaches of harming the peaceful people and harming them. And then in verses 10 and 11, look back at this, this is interesting. Arise and go, go, just go, go. <laughs> For this is no place to rest because of the uncleanliness that destroys with the grievous destruction. He's like, I need out of here. And you guys are going your own way, I'm going to go mine. If someone were to go about uttering empty falsehood saying, I will preach to you of wine and strong drink, such a one would be the preacher for this people. So he's kind of going back again. Uh, I, I don't want to use names, but boy, I could tell you who they'd love to watch on TV. Um, it would be anybody with prosperity. That's basically what this is saying. And I think uh, for me in understanding um, 
not so much the, the times, but understanding uh, now is um, I make, I, I'm not a Vegas person, you should know this, I don't gamble. Um, I do love to watch um, my uh, dream, you know, the millionaire, whatever that's called, where they, the lottery winners, and that's just really fun, I've never played the lottery. Um, and, but I know when you go to Vegas, oftentimes they will have places that will give you drinks for free because you gamble more. Your sense of reality changes. I don't really um, drink hard liquor mixed drinks as much because I drink them like soda pop, which is probably not a good idea. So I, you know, get away from that. But I, you know, and I, I enjoy wine. And good wine, you know, when it's really good wine, you kind of really want to drink that. You don't want to save it, you want to drink. But there's a sense of, in my opinion, where you almost get anesthetized. And you're looking for that, that word that kind of anesthetizes you from the reality of what you're really doing or what really needs to be done. Go. What you guys want is a preacher who's really going to just lull you in, like a, telling you, Drink your good wine, have that strong drink, enjoy life, and knowing that you're kind of being sucked into this other reality, which is not reality at all, but which allows you to rationalize what you're doing, allows you to try and get to away with it. Um, this is the kind of preacher you want. You don't want the prophet or the preacher. You don't want me, because I'm speaking to you the truth. and and. They didn't. Nobody wants, nobody wants to hear bad news. Nobody wants to hear that they're sinning. Years and years ago, one of the first places I um, worked in, uh, and I worked with children, youth, forever, forever, but we had a nursery worker, wonderful woman, had two kids, sweet as she could be, tender, loving, but I began to notice that she had um, alcohol on her breath. And now he's a, a new associate pastor, and um, most of us avoid confrontation, some of us more than others. But I didn't, really didn't know what to do, so I went and I talked to the pastor, and he said, well, just talk to her. I'm like, well, you're not helpful. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Just go and talk to her. It was one of the more difficult things I did, but I just said, here's my observation, which is always safe to do this. Here's what I observe. I can smell alcohol. I'm concerned for you personally. I love you, I, I know this is your church family, but I'm also concerned because you have a role here to watch our children, and I would never want anything to happen to them. It's a very small church, very few kids were in the nursery. Um, she didn't get defensive, she didn't deny, she just said thank you. She got into AA, uh, her life began to really change, and she said, thank you so much. Now, if that happened every time, we'd be probably good at this, because we'd love the people and would really be going to them. It's not like Micah doesn't care. He cares so deeply. But if you could get away with it, which is what they were doing, you might not change your behavior. So I just thought about, you know, when I, I thought about, boy, you're you're drinking and you feel right. Oh, but I'm I'm able to do this. And somebody comes along and says, you know what? This is not, this is not what you need. What you really need is the preacher who'll be honest. What you really need is the truth in your life, and that truth is transformative. That truth brings you into a right relationship with a God who is long-suffering and who does bless you. So then let's look at the last piece because 
Um, it's an it's important. It's a different. It's another. He, he's a little bit. Um, for those of us, have you ever felt like disjointed? Like you have all your bones, but they're not quite working together. A little bit disjointed. Sometimes I think Micah, when he's teaching, he's a little disjointed. He just kind of flips from one place to the other. It's like, well, wait, where are we? Wait, wait, let's, you know. So now he's doing this little jump over here. He just told him, go ahead and listen to your preacher. Go your own way. I'm going mine. And then he goes this, speaks, this is the word of the Lord. I will surely gather all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the survivors of Israel. I will set them together like a sheep in a fold. This is 12 and 13 verse. Like a flock in its pasture, it will resound with people. The one who breaks out will go up before them. They will break through the path and pass the gate, going out by it. Their king will pass on before them, the Lord at their head. Okay, this is the last piece. And it really speaks uh, of redemption. And um, a promise is made for the people. So even though there is both a promise of judgment coming, I can promise you that judgment is coming and you will be scattered. But I'll also promise you in this very abrupt transition that there is hope to all of Judah to the survivors of Israel. God's grace will always abound over sin. And so every once in a while you get someone who goes, I've sinned so much, God could never forgive me. I'm like, no, 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 God could forgive you. The question is, can you forgive yourself? But God will always forgive us. God will always, always forgive us. And so God is restoring it. And here's the thing that's interesting. I want to say this, um, it is both uh, good news, but telling, because it says this, um, I will gather, Jacob, I will gather the survivors, the remnant. So there's a sense that there's some falling out there, but I'm going to gather my people back. I'm gathering what's left over now. My, my, I'm into my mom today who, God bless her, went to be with the Lord in 2018, but she had great stories. Um, I had a boring life in comparison, <laughs> great stories. But they used to make quilts and they made them to be worn, but they would take remnants of other cloth. But let me tell you, that remnant put together was huge. Made big, they made lots of stuff with that. And, and it, so it's not like just this tiny thing, it's like this gathering together. And that's why it says, um, that which um, resounds with people. That is a big group. And, and I don't want to lose sight of that because when you think of the survivors or the remnant, you think small, small, like, oh, how we do this? No, this is a, a, this is a bounding in people, a resound of people that, that I'm bringing together. And then Micah uses the language of a shepherd. And he goes, I will set them together like a sheep in a fold, like a flock in its pasture. So here you have this big sheep in this pasture, and again, pasture. And again, um, I'm just going back a little bit. Old Testament, sheep herders had a lot more respect than New Testament, or certainly today. Now, they did spend a lot of time alone, and they were in the mountains. But back then, it was the land of Israel. It was their land. It was, they owned it, and they possessed it. 
And in the New Testament, they didn't have land, and that meant that your sheep went in places that were considered Gentile places. They were unclean. So that's what made shepherds unclean. And then, yeah, they were kind of isolated people. If you listen to Jack's sermon, which I know you all did, on shepherds. But back then, a shepherd was one that you could trust that would take care of their flock. And they really did take care of them. That was their job. And it didn't matter how big, because the sheep knew their shepherd. Literally, they knew them by voice. And this is what you've heard before, but it's so fun to tell this again. So if you were a shepherd, you may have a dog, but you really didn't need a dog to herd the sheep. You herded your sheep by your voice. That's why you hear in scripture, my sheep hear my voice. You could call your sheep and out of a flock of two or three different shepherds, your sheep would hear your voice and know. So um, a professor whom I got to sit under for a little while who lived over 40 years in the Middle East said you would see these shepherds come together, they do like one another, sitting on a hill with their different flocks. So you have two or three flocks there. You've got a score, a hundreds of sheep there and they're all mingling around and they're having their meal together. And then as they get up and they begin to go, they begin to call their sheep. This amazing thing happens. The one who, who belongs to you, who knows your voice, begins to follow you. They don't get lost. They don't get mixed in. They know the voice. So when it, when it talks about, I will gather you, I'll have my flock, there's someone whose voice you will know and who knows you. And just an aside, when you get a new sheep, they're lost for a little while. <laughs> they kind of run around crazily, apparently, until they get used to your voice. And then they know where to go. And, um, and so here you have this imagery of uh, this, this uh, shepherd that's going to bring, bring together the sheep, this flock. And then what is this person like? And this person is, uh, and here's a glimpse of the Messiah to come. The Redeemer will be the one who is strong and can break through any obstacle. There's the language there. I am the one who, the one who breaks out will go up before them. They will break through and pass the gate going out by it. So here you have this image of a person who is able, the one, the capital O, we would say, the one who is able to break through any barriers, any barriers of sin, any barriers of captivity, anything, that one will break through, will get through the gate, and then in the last verse, their king will pass on before them the Lord at their head, i.e. God the king. And here even rabbi scholars would say this is a, a mention of the Messiah to come. That scholar may not say it's Jesus of the New Testament, but this is messianic language. Know that there is a redeemer coming. That is a person who will bring you, gather you back together. That is a person who will break through anything that has kept you captive before. And that is one who will lead you, who will be at the front so that you know where you're going. So Michael um, ends this chapter of great um, judgment with some hope, with some promise. Amen. Questions? Prophets were to prepare people? That's a great question. 
So in our Reformed tradition, we would say, and in most, um, that Jesus is the, uh, not just in our Reformed, but as Christians, Jesus is the one last prophet. Um, but more than that, he is uh, God himself. So prophets came to prepare the people for what was coming. When Christ comes, he is there now. I have a, for what you have been waiting for is now present. Having said that, so when you have, I, I do believe that there can be a prophetic word. Um, even Micah, when he was speaking to the people, did you see all the, you know, the coveting? Well, that takes us back to the commandment. That was in scripture. They would know that. Uh, God who is abound and always saved us. They would have known the history. They would have been taught that. So, so even when prophets speak, they're speaking to the word, but they're speaking of what is to come. Christ comes and totally fulfills that. I do uh, believe and um, have seen in witness what I would call a prophetic word. It is always based on scripture. So if somebody has, I have a prophetic word and it's like, well, great, well, let's see what scripture says. And is it, is it consistent with the word of God? And it is not going to be a new thing, but it will bring honor and affirmation of what is said in Scripture. So we don't have prophets because Jesus is that last prophet, the one great prophet that we have. And, um, but we have prophetic words. And I think even something like uh, sometimes unbeknownst to us, we might have a prophetic word that might call us back. The prophetic word might be for us today. And it's in one of my questions, how much time do you spend at night thinking about how I could better serve the poor or the oppressed, those who maybe have had things taken from them simply because they didn't have the power to resist? Um, that might be uh, a, a prophetic word of, uh, of look at scripture, what is God saying to us? But no, um, Nothing that goes against scripture, nothing that goes against the ultimate uh, Jesus Christ is the one. And so we don't need those prophets for that reason. Is that helpful? Did that answer? Okay. Good question. I'm probably the only one who worries about that. What if I don't know? Anything else? Are you guys doing okay? Are you staying healthy? I assume your homes are healthier. You wouldn't be here. Um, but do pray. Pray for our staff. Pray for our congregation. Um, there are uh, a number who are infected, uh, mostly mild cases because uh, they're all vaccinated and boosted up. And if you haven't done that yet, I would, um, I would encourage you. <laughs> I would exhort you uh, to be vaccinated. But um, keep them in your prayers and please stay healthy. Uh, love seeing you all and uh, love the day when we could fill this place back up face to face next to one another. And I have faith that indeed that will happen. Let's pray. Gracious and holy God, thank you for these ladies. Thank you for the time that we get to spend together. Thank you for those who will watch online, Lord. May, um, may the words that I shared make, um, be helpful, Lord God, and may it be true to your word. Thank you for Micah. Thank you for people in our own lives who are willing to speak the truth and set us straight because they love you, Lord God Almighty, and because they love us. May we be willing to reflect in our own lives and recalibrate uh, where we need to walk more closely with you.
and help us, Lord God, to make plans that are beneficial to all people, especially the poorest of the poor. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.